0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Living With Power Hope podcast. Yeah. I'm Lena Abujamra, and I'm your host. I'm so glad you're here. I hope we've met before, but if we haven't, then this is our first time. And I'm really glad that you came on to this episode of this podcast. If you've uh, followed us before, you know we're in a series called Uncomfortable Conversations About Racism in the Church, and we're going to continue today with probably predicting that it's going to be one of my favorite episodes, because for a change, I have two guests instead of one, and I'm going to introduce both of them in a minute. Remember, though, as we frame sort of this conversation, that our goal here is to my goal is to talk to followers of Jesus and to give us a little bit of a framework uh, from the Bible and, and from a uh, love and reconciliation perspective, how to lead in this conversation. And so for long, the church has reacted uh, uh, to what's happening in the culture. And instead of uh, uh, coming in as a reactants, I'd love us to take a step ahead and say, hey, we're going to advance this conversation with love and with hope, because anyone knows about that. It is our leader, Jesus Christ. And so today I want to introduce you to my guests. First of all is uh, Chief of Police of the Elgin Police Department, Anna Lali. And I just found out that she's uh, Armenian uh, before her her maiden name is Armenian, which is kind of a cool connection because I'm Lebanese and my brother-in-law is Armenian, so sort of have probably some common ancestors. And, And the second guest is one of my dear friends, Latoya Connors, and she... Uh, I've known to LaToya forever, it feels like, but she is uh, uh, used to go to my old church. She now is a big deal at Granger Industrial. It's a Forbes 500 company here in Chicago. She is the North American Director of Price Operations and Technology. LaToya, you astound me. You had a busy day already today, so I want to welcome you both to the show.
1: Thank you. Hello. Thank Hi. You. Thank Glad you. Glad to be here.
0: You know, I know Latoya more than I know you, Chief. And so I thought, why don't you start off like we're going to obviously be talking about some touchy stuff and uh, about the, the, this relationship between black America and the police department. And though neither of you can speak for all of the police or black people in the United States, I, let us get to know one another a little bit before. Tell us, uh, Chief, what, how you became the chief of police of the Elgin Police Department. I, I know Elgin as a rough sort of uh, town. And, and, and how, tell us a little bit about your story.
2: Yeah. So uh, first, thank you for having me. And um, so I've been with the Elgin Police Department. Um, I will start my 25th year in March uh, of next year. So I've been here over 24 years. Um, so I started, uh, you know, I got involved in, in policing. Uh, the Elgin Police Department was the, uh, the only place that I tested. Uh, I saw a, a flyer. I went to Illinois State University for, for my undergrad and I saw a flyer. Uh, this was the days before social media. So there was actually like this sheet of paper on the wall um, <laughs> that, with a job uh, you know, announcement. And so I grew up in Streamwood, which is right next door to Elgin. And so yeah. um, I applied and I got hired. And, um, you know, I've been uh, you know, I've been an officer. I've been a detective. Uh, I worked my way up through the ranks. Um, I was a sergeant uh lieutenant, um, a commander before I became the chief of police, which was in July of 2018. I was a commander for over six years. Uh, wow. So, yeah, so I really, um, you know, I really enjoy, I, I initially wanted to go into, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer and then uh, I decided I didn't want to do that. And so policing always interests me from the investigative side and mm-hmm. being able to help people. Uh, through some really traumatic things. And so, you know, I was able to do that throughout my career. Now, you know, as the chief of police, it's a little bit different what I do. Um, But, you know, I really, I enjoy, uh, I I love what I do. I enjoy it every single day. Uh, You know, I hope that we, um, you know, as we make it through, make our way through this conversation, you know, to me, um, some of the challenges that, you know, we are facing as a profession uh, I think that we, you know, we here at Elgin, we embrace the challenges. We're we're a little different with
0: some things that we do here, and so. Um, well, tell us a little about Elgin too. So demographically, yeah. it's is it a high uh, Spanish? I mean, tell me a bit more about the the, the makeup of the community that you serve. Sure. So um, our
2: Elgin community is over one hundred and ten thousand. Um, those were from the the last census uh, numbers. And, um, so it's, it's, uh, Hispanic is a large population of Hispanics. Uh, we have a very d- diverse community, but Hispanic, white, African-American, Asian, uh, it's a very diverse community. So, um, you know, you, there's different parts of Elgin that you kind of get a different type of feel. Um, you know, so it's, it's a little communities all into one big community. We call ourselves the city in the
0: suburbs. Right. Uh, well, so, and, it, and what about the police department itself that you yeah. need? Isn't it pretty well-represented?
2: Yes. So the police department uh, is comprised of 184 officers and uh, out of the 184 officers. So we have uh, 184 sworn officers and then we have another uh, about 60 uh, civilian personnel that make up our records division, our 911 call center. So we have close to uh, just under 300 people at the police department. And um, we as far as with our diversity of officers, uh, we are. Um, continuing to push for uh, it's predominantly white males, uh, but we are pushing for more females because females are, are uh, one of the most underrepresented um, uh, people in policing overall. So we do a lot with our recruiting, uh, recruiting, um, you know, females, uh, Hispanic population, African American. So we're in constant recruiting mode. Um, and for anyone listening, we are actually testing now. We have a testing procedure uh, that it's our testing process is open until August 31st. And so if you go online and just Google City of Elgin Police Department, check out our Facebook, check out all our stuff, and you'll see that um, all the really interesting things that we do here.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. And so if, before I bring LaToya into the conversation, sort of what's been your sort of take on it's just sort of big picture take on what's been happening as so much of the, this conversation on race and racism in the United States has sort of focused. I feel like in some ways I'm a doctor. We've sort of, you know, snuck into the heroes in the last few months with COVID. And, but really, if there's a, been a villain, if I am if I, mm-hmm. to be told, uh, the police force has taken a hit. And so what's your sort of as a police officer trying to give morale to your people? And what's been your perspective as you watch the news
2: Yeah. So I think, um, you know, overall, you know, the policing profession, um, you know, it, I've been a police officer, like I said, for, you know, over 24 years. And so I have, and I came into policing right before the Rodney King incident, um, Mm. or it happened right before, you know, I came in shortly thereafter. And, um, you know, policing at that time was very different, um, and the techniques and tactics that were used. And, you know, there's been ups and downs after 9-11, um, you know, everybody loved the police, you know, it was mm-hmm. a very different feel. Um, and then, you know, we kind of had some national incidents happen that I think have, have set the tone for, um, you know, some much needed conversations to happen. And, uh, you know, whether that was Trayvon Martin or very close to Elgin here, um, you know, with some of the incidents that happen in Chicago, uh, you know, I think that it's, int- you know, I, I think that we, you know, as a profession, um, you know, most progressive police departments, you know, the, these type of concerns, uh, you know, should kind of always be in the forefront, whether mm-hmm. it's diversity and inclusion and fairness and procedural justice. And, you know, so we are really, um, you know, a police department that embraces those philosophies and, You know, our officers are trained in fair and impartial policing. Uh, They all are crisis intervention trained. We have body cameras. Um, We're doing some really neat things now um, over the next, you know, the past month and a half. We've been working on some things. And actually for the past year and a half, we've been really working on some things to, you know, try to, um, you know, really hear what hear people's voices Uh, you know, hear what they're saying and try to make some, some changes. And uh, it takes time, it takes effort. It takes a lot of people to, you know, open their, open their, um, you know, open their hearts, open their minds to people. And so, uh, you know, I think it's just a kind of bigger picture, you know, for officers, it can be, um, it can be disheartening because, you know, there are really good officers in this profession. And, you know, when you come here and and you work every day to make it better for your department and for your community, um, you know, but you can't, you know, you can't blame the national incidents and and it reflects on your profession. So you just have to work really hard to show your community that, you know, we're listening, we're hearing, we're doing, Um, and we're trying. Have you
0: felt any pushback from the community in the last, especially two months since the George Floyd, um, you know, kind of incident and, and there's been sort of this big, the protests and movement to, you know, a lot of conversation about defunding. Do you feel like people have been more or less supportive in your community? Just any, any changes in the way people treat you?
2: Yeah. So in, in Elgin, we actually had an officer involved shooting happen in March of 2018 and we had some protests shortly thereafter, which all our protests have been peaceful. Um. we have a great relationship with our community. We're known for our community policing. So um, even the people that are at these events, uh, at the protests, um, you know, they're hard conversations to have with people, but they're always respectful. So the uh, protests that we had um, after George Floyd were all peaceful. Um, A lot of people there were involved in the protests from our office involved shooting, but Um, you know, it's our community is very, very supportive. Um, There are some people who will not, you know, they just choose not to be supportive because they don't want to be. And that's their right. But I think overall, um, we have a community that can tell us some really hard things and tell us that we, you know, they're not happy with us, but it still stays respectful. And I think that's the area in which the work gets done. You know, it's it's people who are willing to work together to make things better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I want to bring Latoya into the conversation a little. Latoya, you have been uh, observing your, you know, sort of being your friend, but also seeing your engagement with these conversations. You've been woke for some time. I think, you know, there are some people that have become more vocal more recently, but right. as a Black woman, I think you have been sort of fighting for a lot of justice for um for black people in general, but but over the course of multiple years, I've seen you sort of engage in the church and trying to uh, to educate people on what's happening. What to give me a little sense, Lathway? I know you've done a lot of lecturing on, on and talking at your work on the history, you know, behind a lot of what's happening today. But has there ever been a season? again, as a black woman, as you consider sort of life in the United States for the past, I don't know, 50 to 100 years, has there ever been a season where the relationship between black people and police officers was really healthy? How far back do you date sort of the, this tension that exists between particularly black men, I guess? I, yeah. I, I don't know if you want to speak into that too. Is there a yeah. difference between being a black woman and a black man? Not that you would you know, know what it feels to be a black man, but you understand what I mean. <laughs> uh, yes. And I'm
1: married to one.
0: <laughs> so,
1: so definitely. And thank you, Chief Lally. Lally. I think that, um, you know, just a lot of things that you said just makes sense. And I just really commend you for, for having the voice and not being afraid to speak and partner and be able to address some of the tough issues. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate you being here today because uh, I think that this is really how change is going to start. It's going to start by us engaging in dialogue and being able to have conversation and lament and grieve together and put policies and things in um, force to to bring about change um, on both sides. Um, to your question directly, Lena, you know, when you look at the history of riots in America, you think about like um segregation, right? I have friends that have just you know, their parents were involved when schools were segregated, right? And you think about the history of that in America and Ruby Bridges. I mean, she's 65. She's still alive. That was, that was like 60 years ago. That's not a lifetime ago. And you think about riots that happened like in 1967, um, in 1968 with, you had the Detroit riots, you had the Chicago riots. I think there's been this tension. Um, that has been between law enforcement in general and the members of the Black society for a while. And you think about it and you think about some of the systemic racism that has existed in America. um, It's understandable why that tension is there. I think what is still blowing my mind and the minds of my friends and people that I care about, and even people that are in power is um, this tension has not alleviated. It seems as if the tension has grown. And I think mm. chief mentioned that now we have cameras. I think th- it's not that I don't know if things are getting worse. It's mm. just that it's being broadcast. Um, more frequently and more immediately. And there's two visions of thoughts there, right? One is, well, don't show it. And the other one is like, well, what is really happening? Because there's so much tension or so much um, that's going on with the police force and Black individuals. And I think when it comes to women and men, especially Black women and men, um, there's a a topic out there that I don't think we talk about enough. And that's the fact that I think Black men are seen as a threat. Um, And one of the questions that You know, eventually we want to talk the chief about if she and that's why we talk about like our own biases. You know, there's something out there that black men are seen as a threat and they Mm -hmm. are at times are treated more harshly. And I think that people in my circles, people that I know, in the conversations that are happening, people are afraid for their young black boys and their young black teenagers, um, because there's a level of harshness that we see that they're dealt with that maybe a white counterpart at the same age um, wouldn't have to deal with the same consequences.
0: So well, I think what that's you, something into. What do you think, Chief? When you hear that, I mean, that's that's a valid you know thought with the conversation now. But does that does that make you? I mean, I would imagine I, I might, like, I put myself as a doctor in uh, oh, sorry, Presta on my computer but i I, i'm putting myself even as a couple of things that latoya brings out i mean first of all this 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 increase in videotaping everything i mean as an er doctor we didn't let people videotape in the er right now you can't control human universe but but it almost feels sometimes that some things can be taken out of context so there's i want to talk a little bit about videotaping good bad not any feelings on that from both perspectives but also sort of when you hear her say well you know black men tend to be treated more unfairly as a police officer how does that make you feel or, or is that valid?
2: Yeah. So um, I think um, when when I hear that, because I've heard that a lot and I've heard that many times. And I think, um, you know, as police officers and, and in our profession, um, you know, when people tell you that, you can't not but take that to heart. I mean, and you have to think, you know, what is it that we can do? To change that. And so, you know, here at the police department, there's a couple of things that we've been doing and uh, that we're working on. Um, and one is being that, you know, all our officers are trained in, um, in fair and impartial policing, which talks about implicit bias. You know, everybody has bias, even well-intentioned people. Mm-hmm. It really brings to the forefront, uh, you know, some of the inequalities and the things that have happened and people's fears and their concerns. And, and you know, I think just educating people and opening people's minds to realizing that, yeah, you know, as a, um, a white woman, I can walk into some places and be treated very differently, uh, as a black man, uh, or a black female. And that has nothing to do with the words that come out of our mouths or our action. It's just us walking through a door. Mm-hmm. And, um, we also, you know, so we've been really talking about this for the past couple of years. And really, um, you know, I've met with, clergy groups and community members. And, you know, we, we talk about recognizing bias and having officers that are trained in it. The other thing that we're doing here, we just started this um, is uh, we are working with, I'm working with a a small group of clergy members for about the past eight or nine months. And uh, we're reading a book and we read the book called white fragility and uh, we're beginning to take that experience of my command staff reading that book with the clergy members and having some really deep, hard conversations. And now we're bringing that to some of the officers in the department. And we're eventually going to be hosting a, a kind of a roundtable and just talking mm-hmm. about these things. And so I think, one, um, you know, you have to recognize that um, that these things exist and you can't, you know, because it doesn't affect you. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I think the more that people start, you know, really thinking about, What are the inequalities in the world and how can we change it and how can we be advocates and how can I stop my behavior that maybe I didn't know what I was doing was offensive or, uh, you know, considered racism. And so that's what we're trying to really do. And sometimes, you know, people are ready to have these conversations. I can tell you in my experience just in the last two years as being the chief, I've had some really, really, really great conversations with officers, with community members, and you know, and some people are ready for it. And and they're, you know, and some people takes a little bit of time because the minute I start talking about the word white fragility and oh my God, you know, but I'm not racist, like, well that's not the point. The point is to right. start talking about some of these things right, and right, not right. be defensive, right? To right. listen, to hear, to work together. So those are my kind of thoughts on
0: on just that in general. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when you hear her, do you feel like, are you cynical and think she, she sounds like the exception to the? I mean, Mm I, I mean, I, I love what you're saying, chief, but Mm -hmm. you almost, there's a part of you going, if all police officers sort of thought like you, maybe like, it feels like maybe some of the problems we have might not be there. Like, Mm -hmm. what's your response to that, Latoya? Mm -hmm. Like, is she the exception or is this more what's happening and just word needs to get out more to educate people what's happening in the police um, trainings and such.
1: So I definitely um, I think Chief Lolly is the exception. I think that um, based on just some of the research that I've done and some of the interactions that we've seen, I think that there's more chiefs and more, um, you know, police departments that are going to be getting on board with what she's doing. But I think uh, chief, you're definitely a forerunner. And again, I commend you for that. Just FYI, I used to live in Elgin. My husband and I um, had a home in Elgin before we moved out to uh, Lake County. And I will tell you, there was something different about the police force um, in Elgin. Um, I They walked the neighborhood. There, there yeah. was an interaction with the kids. There was um, a couple hard conversations that I had with a couple officers just about about um, a couple things that were going on that I won't mention but uh, mm-hmm. just when there was a heightened awareness of some things in my neighborhood and I just made it clear that you know when one of the things found out the person they thought the person was actually a black person based on the way they were dressed and some stereotypes that actually turned out to be a Caucasian person um, so that was interesting but the cops actually engaged in conversation engaged in dialogue and to be honest with you I never felt a threat to my family um, my boys or my husband um, but I think she's definitely a forerunner I think she's a trailblazer and i think that we need more of that because here's the deal and i'll state this very clearly on the podcast because i know the audience that's listening is there's christians and there's non-christians and i think this topic is appealing um, and it's important black people know that not all cops are bad yes black people know that not all white people are racist
0: mm.
1: but i think that i i know for a fact That because of the systems of racism, the systems of social injustice, the systems that have not been so long ago that caused oppression, those roots run really deep. And until we can talk about some of those injustices, it's hard to get above and beyond, because here's the truth of the matter. People that are our age collectively have parents that are still alive today that lived in some of the most racist times in American history and it doesn't just go away. I believe that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, you know, he can break the chains, he can break the, the, the past sins of our, of our family members, and he can give us a new outlook on life. I do believe that, and that's why my hope is in him and him alone. But it causes us to have to have conversations like this and to revisit um, the biases that we have. And I think when I hear that Chief is reading the book White Fragility, I'll tell you, I'm reading that book with some peers right now um, at my company. Uh, that is, to me, I thought it was a very well-written book, but that book wasn't written for Black people. <laughs> it was written for white people. <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 there's plenty of people in my my circle, especially in my church circle, that refuse to read the book because it wasn't written by a Christian or they refuse to read the book because the, they use the term whiteness. And the term whiteness isn't bad. It is just that if you are white in America, there are different things that are afforded to you that I would never have the for, uh, the benefit of or the benefit of the doubt of. Um, it's like if I walk into a room, um, my the reaction to me walking into that boardroom is different than a reaction of a Caucasian person walking into that boardroom. White Fragility Julia, I think is a very telling book. I think it's a very hard book to digest, but the author really hits on some very important things. And I'm, I'm blown away that the chief is reading that with some staff members. I think it's a really good start. There's a ton of other books that people can read if they don't want to read White Fragility. There's a ton of books by Christian authors, um, you know, that have um, the ability to hit on some of these topics. But to get to true unity, you can't fake it. You have to recognize these issues exist, and then you have to make a plan to deal with it, um, including starting with what do we really believe as individuals about other people?
0: Well, well said. You know, I I think when you made a couple of statements that I think are interesting in light of... of, of the audience being mostly, you know, Christian. I I think that a lot of my listeners tend to be on the, you know, probably I would predict on the conservative side of uh, theology and, and beliefs now, you know, and, and I think there is a sort of, there is a sort of bend in this conversation on racism in our, in our culture right now that that makes conservative Christians in particular seem to be defensive to me. And, mm-hmm. and so this, and white fragility, I think, has been criticized for that, this mm-hmm. idea that if you're white, you're automatically a racist, I think mm-hmm. is sort of the propagated message. I don't want to discuss the book right now per no, se, but no. you, you made a very disarming statement where he says, you know, black people understand that all white people are not racist and all cops are not bad. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I almost feel like sometimes that's a a little bit missed in the conversation. And I appreciate the nuances of that. I mean, I appreciate what you're uh, saying, Mm -hmm. but, and I, and I, and I feel like the job of most white people right now is to when they, when they hear the, the strength of, the, you know, the conversation against whiteness. I mean, I think there is a lot of what you said earlier, lament and sort of the space where we just need to listen for a while. Um, But I I think that it's an interesting, you know, thing to hear you say, I haven't heard a lot of uh, particularly black people sort of make these statements. And so somehow, I think there's become a lot of us versus them in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And 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 whether it's cop versus you know human, I say I mean, the human, mm-hmm. but or you know or black versus white. I mean, I think it's become so antagonistic, and it's almost like how who's. How do you start breaking down walls mm-hmm. so that people actually hear each other? Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm intrigued, too. I mean, in, in that conversation, you know, in, in your comments, Latoya saying that all cops are not bad. But but there is also, again, I want to press a little bit into that a little because I agree with you, obviously. And I and I think there's ample examples and statistics on both sides that people throw and look. And, you know, even though policemen are accused of hurting a lot of black men, mm-hmm. you know, unfairly, but when you look at the actual conservative data, you come up with lists of actual statistics where it's, you know, there's the, the, not as big a, a variant as one might think and on and on. But I'm intrigued on like very simple, practical stories, such as, let's go back to something the whole world has seen by now, George Floyd. So you see this, this this video, which again, whether or not people should be videotaping, I actually think it's a good thing that we're having these conversations and God is really uprooting this racism in our country. So these are all good things. But, but nonetheless... Uh, The phone has certainly made this conversation a lot more in our face, but you look at this video and while the one officer obviously is sort of the guiltiest party, right? The guy who has, and I don't know much about the rules of police officers. I know Latoya, you had, uh, we had kind of looked at some conversation and maybe chief, you can address that in a minute about like the knee against neck position and sort of rules and that, but, but so there's the one bad cop, right? But then there's three other cops involved. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, like watching the video made me even sicker. Not so much about the one guy, but but for me, the Asian guy sticks in my head. I didn't even know there were other cops. I thought there was two, and I couldn't understand how the other policemen weren't saying something. I want us to discuss a little bit, and Chief, you might have more to say on that. Like, how does that dynamic play out? How do you just kind of watch it and go? You, do you just take a side of the cop and, and figure things out later or can a police officer have the freedom to be like, dude, you need to take your foot off of his neck. You know, wh- how does that dynamic play out so that people don't come to the conclusion that all policemen are bad? You see?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when, um, when, uh, when I watched the video and I only watched it one time, um, and, and it was just absolutely sickening to me. And, you know, I've seen a lot of videos. I've been, I've seen a lot of things, and to me, the thought that came through my in my mind too is exactly what you said too. I said, you know, if, if one of those police officers there would just do something, push him off, do something, that moment in in at least in policing history could have meant so much, but mm-hmm. instead, they didn't. And yes, yeah, so the, at at the Elgin Police Department, um, we have had in our policy uh, for quite some time the duty to intervene. Um, and so basically if an officer sees excessive force or, or, force that should not be being used, uh, that's clearly outside of, uh, object- objectively reasonable, um, the, the officer sh- should intervene and then tell a supervisor. And so I don't know what the policy was, uh, at that particular department, but we do have that and we've had that for quite some time regarding the, um, you know the knee on the neck. Um, we have, and, and it's been in our policy too, uh, that we do not train to apply any type of pressure to the throat or to the windpipe or any airway of a person. Um, no, and so those are commonly known as chokeholds. Um, by Illinois state law, so Illinois actually has a law that prohibits um, using a chokehold unless there's some type of deadly force situation where that's all you're able to do to save your life or someone else's life. So. Um, yeah, we've had those policies in place for quite some time. We've had um, policies, um, you know, of uh, training for use of force, uh, you know, on the use of force continuum, on de-escalation. It's, it's you know, we, uh, it's ingrained in our training here. Um, so, you know, the, that, that moment in time where people see that and and you see an officer just, you know, with no remorse, No, you know, just, it's absolutely disgusting. I've only watched that video one time. That's all I can really, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable to me and, um, and so,
0: so your, you really your take is they should have said something somebody should oh, have yeah. done something somebody I mean, like, if you know you're being filmed right i mean like like i'm always a little bit we, i work for a telehealth company and our conversations are being recorded that's we tell people like we're like hey you're on a recorded yeah. call and there's something when you know you're being recorded that makes the interaction much more professional just because you kind of know that you're being recorded and like there's a part of me sometimes that has looked at a lot of the debacles that have made it really the tragedies over the course of the last five ten years and you're like dude, you're being recorded. Like, how? How do you miss that? Is there a hidden code in the police department where it's like, it's like, just don't say, like, defend the brotherhood at all costs? Or is that just a momentary lapse of judgment where somebody you just know, doesn't say I anything? Think
2: that, that's, I think that's a, that's, those are individual personality and characteristic and traits. And so, you know, most of departments try to have some form of early warning system, you know, to see like, is there an officer that's using, um, you know, that, that gets complaints of use of force? Are they, you know, are they, you know, when they're coming to work, are they, uh, you know, getting engaged in, in arguments and fights? And it's a, it's a mm-hmm. whole reality of looking at the officer. Um, the officer, you know, it's an individual thing. You know, officers mm-hmm. are not trained to do what people saw. And, um, you know, we also have to think about the that each officer is a person and they come with, you know, their are mm-hmm. And so we have to focus not just on their physical well-being, right. um, we also focus on their mental health as well. You know, we have a peer program, we have a, um, a healthy minds program, we have a chaplain program. Um, so we're trying to, you know, really say, you know, a lot of times the officers, you know, and it just depends what's going on in their lives. I mean, mm. they're stressed out and then they're then they're doing things that they should not be doing uh, or they're just doing it because they think they can get away with it, which to me Again, it's just absolutely disgusting. Body cameras, I think, um, you know, for me, any agency uh, that wants to talk about transparency and accountability and really start making, uh, you know, making these changes, it starts with, you know, letting the community see what you do. We've had body cameras for three years. Body cameras, to us, you know, it's old news. We're like, we've had it for three years. Um, it's helped, uh, you know, a lot of times people, um, you know, there is a level of professionalism to your point that I think people know when they're being recorded, but I think you also have to ingrain that in, in your philosophies and your training and your culture. And it's an, it's a every day, um, you know, every day we have to work at it every single day. So it's, it's, um, it's not, it's not something that we right. just check the box. Now we're done. We are constantly trying to, to improve and recognize some of our flaws and recognize that we need to sometimes be better and do better. and. Um, I think if you come in with that philosophy, um, you know, it, it, you, you, you can't not stop trying. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, why do you think it takes sometimes a while for, like after the George Floyd incident, it took so many days before any action was taken against what was obviously a wrong. That kind of inflamed the conversation in the U.S. I felt like it, it, it boiled, brought it things to a boil. Why is there such a delay in saying, okay, this was obviously wrong, act on it. Because I think we could almost do better even in that after effect.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for, you know um, it, it's important that if something happens that in a timely, but also, um, you know, I think sometimes it's a, you have to still understand that people still, there's still due process and there's a, mm-hmm. you know, people are entitled to their, their, their rights. But so I think some things take just, you know, a little bit of time to get out to right. the, But you need to, yes, in this especially in this climate. And this climate's been around for for four or five years. Um, right. the police department that's been paying attention to what's going on, you know, transparency, accountability, um, and timeliness of information, uh, that's, you know, that's a given, you know. So I think a lot of departments, at least here in Elgin, you know, we know uh, we will we'll get as much information as we can out about an incident, still respecting the investigative process and also respecting Uh, the rights of individuals. But at some point you have to say, you know, to not to say no comment, or it's still Mm -hmm. under investigation. Those days are over. I mean, those days are over for quite some time. Mm -hmm.
0: Latoya, how did you feel watching a black police officer in that, in uh, in the incident of George Floyd, uh, the tragedy of George Floyd? I mean, because do you feel more protective of a black officer or equally angry when you see something happen with a brother, say, who's who's on the ground and doesn't do as much as you might expect,
1: um, equally angry because I think to the average layperson like myself, um, there seems to be a brotherhood of cops where the decision to partner and the blue and the badge, you know, the blue and black, is more important than anything else. Um, but also, there's a sense of the sense that I have that you know, like Chief said, that people are individuals. I also think that Black cops in a situation, so not the one with George Floyd where the Asian Mm -hmm. officer was definitely like a bystander where he could have done something different. Got it. Right. Um, but in the sense where I think black cops in general, in the midst of this climate are in a very difficult situation. Um, we have black cops in our family and in our, our friends. And um, I can tell you personally, they don't speak a lot about things like this, but when they do, I can tell that they're in a tough situation um, and they have a hard time finding their voice in the midst of the police force and rightfully so, because sometimes there's just things that they can't speak on. I think what Chief said that was really interesting to me about this, though, and my hand was shaking. So as I'm as as we're talking, I'm taking some notes on things that I want to respond to. Um, but my hands started to shake because when you said George Floyd, you know, I'm thinking I can't breathe. We can't breathe. Get your foot off my neck. And one of the th- one of the things that I was hoping it comes from this podcast is the beginning of a conversation that reinstills hope into Mm -hmm. the Black community about what it should mean to be able to interact with the police. And chief, people have said, LaToya, you lead with grace. Too much grace. You should be angry. You should be mad. And I am all those things. But I do want to lead with grace. And I want to say, the fact that you just said that it was wrong and it was ugly is healing. Mm -hmm. The fact that you just said that that is not a corporate behavior, but an individual behavior and individual personality and that people have their own baggage is healing because so many times in conversations like this, it's easy to aggregate everyone together for a dialogue and of to step back and just say, you have a bad seed, And let's get rid of the seed um, and then start to get rid of the problem. So I want to commend you again for that. And again, because this dialogue that we're having today is only the beginning, right? And I think when people walk away from this podcast, if they can walk away feeling hopeful, feeling like all is not lost, feeling like there's an avenue of care and protection that Theoretically should flow down from the police departments to a black person in their family, as well as a white person in their family. um, I think we're beginning different parts of the process of healing. Um, And I agree, Chief. There's videos over the last few years that I can't even watch. I mean... Yeah. I mean, my husband will be like, I just have to warn you, don't look at Twitter today or don't look at this. And I'll be like, He's like LaToya, you can't. And then sometimes I'm foolish and I'll go look at it anyway, and then I'm up the rest of the night, or I'm weeping over my six-year-old boys, right? Um, but there there is something that's going on here that is important, which is it's okay to say that something is wrong. And I think that in the black community, I think what we hear or what we've heard, because everyone's not like Chief L- L- Lali Lolly, mm-hmm. is People are, we haven't heard the people in blue say that it's wrong directly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just yeah. said that. And I think oh, that that's, yeah. powerful. that's powerful. That's powerful. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I, I think it's a, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's anybody who has a heart or anybody that thinks, especially, you know, um, how somebody could do that to somebody, just, you know, another human being and just have a, a look on their face, like, like nothing is happening. I mean, it was just absolutely disgusting. And and I think that, you know, we talk, uh, I could tell you here in the Elgin Police Department, you know, there's some incidents that will happen, um, you know, and and people will say, well, you know, other incidents outside of here and people say, well, you know, I could see this side or I could see that side. Sometimes there's like really, you know, two sides to things and, and you know, you'll get some you know, uh, people who may not agree so much here, uh, you know, with George Floyd, this was a, uh, there's no, there's not one officer that I have talked to, uh, and had conversations with that say that that was okay. People are, this is absolutely wrong. And I think that, you know, it is something that, um, you know, if you think about some of the incidents that have happened, uh, you know, they've never really caused this, this forward momentum so much as, as George Floyd. And I think that, You know, this is definitely something that, as you know, professional police departments, um, every single one of those incidents before, you know, it was just for us the momentum to keep pushing harder, to try to do things differently, to change, to be aware, to learn, to grow, to listen. And I think this is now really something that, you know, when you see the the reaction to what's happening, um, you know, I always try to tell people too. You know, I know a lot of times if if I tell somebody, you know. This is, you know, the Elgin Police Department does A, B, C, D. And, you know, we're not perfect here. We've had our ups and downs. But overall, you know, these are the things we're working on. These are the things we're doing. And if somebody says to me, well, that's great, but I feel like you're not listening to our concerns from the African-American community. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter all the data, the research, the pro- programs, this. And so that, to me, has like sunk in over the past couple of years of, you know, it doesn't it. You, you still need to do the practical things, the tangible things, but part of it is also, you know, how do you address and how do you help to heal the feeling? Right. 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 To me, it's the important part of it too, because I can give data this, that, this, and, um, you know, I had somebody tell me that one time in a conversation a couple of years ago that, you know, all that was great, but it's, I still feel this way. Mm. It really makes thinks, you know,
0: like, yeah, I get that. Right. Can we spend a couple minutes? I know both of you uh, are given so much of your time, which I'm so grateful for, but but there are a couple of things I still want us to address. One big one is police defunding. Can we talk a little bit about that to help people understand? Maybe Latoya, first talk from your perspective, what, what, what does that mean to you? And then and then chief one, maybe then you can talk about sort of what impact is that a bit as big deal as people got extremes of opinion. People go, well, they're defunding, there's not gonna be a police, you know, member protecting the the, the, the city we're living in. And sort sort of those extreme views, you know. First of all, what does it mean uh, with oil? Policy. So
1: I so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be really real here. That's the only way I know how to be. Um so um I have a policy background, first and foremost. So I have a science and a policy background. And um when the when I first started seeing the term float about on twitter and on facebook the first thing i did was slap my face because (laughs) when you hear the word defunding the police like every conservative in america and every person that doesn't think past layer one is going to freak out about that term and when people think about defunding even in corporate america they think about losing money which means losing jobs not being necessary anymore and doing something super radical Well, terminology is everything, right? Names Mm -hmm. is everything. Words mean everything. So the name itself, I think, can be offensive to some. But if you really get underneath the layers of defunding the police, I think that, number one, we have to find a different way to talk about it. But what Mm -hmm. it really means is that when you think about police departments that have these enormous budgets, right? Just like anything else, they serve the community. I'm not saying they don't need a large budget, but are some of these budgets really what they need to be? And are they really being directed to what they should be? You know, I can't answer that. Chief can probably answer that, right? And that's maybe a hard question to answer, because um, her, pro- her budget probably looks different than a budget in, say, a DC or a California, right? But the reality of it is, is defunding the police at its basics means, how can we redirect funds from some of these larger police departments that have these huge budgets in areas that are at a high risk, right, um, to other departments and other areas in the community that could help prevent some of the issues that the police is where we see some of the injustice. So if an example would be, could we take... Um, 2% of a budget and direct that into a lower lower socioeconomic area into um, some type of training or interactions for high school youth or something like that for people in the inner city? Um, Can we redirect funds into programs that would help reduce mass incarceration, right? Because one of the things we haven't talked about, Lenny, it could be a a podcast in itself, is mass incarceration and the effect it has on the Black community, right? And how that looks different than the white community. Um, So it's really... How are we directing some funds to things that would prevent and could help stop some of the interactions that we're seeing today? So the term defund the police, I think, is not the best term for what it is that we want or we think is needed. And along with that terminology would be policy changes, um, actual physical practice changes. It would be training for the police. It would be training for our citizens. There's just a lot that goes into that Mm -hmm. term of defunding the police. That's helpful. Right. That's really helpful. Chief, what do you think? Yeah, so
2: I agree with Latoya. I mean, there is, uh, you know, with uh, when people say defund the police. So realistically, you know, I think she's exactly right. It's 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 you know, I'll ask people before I like answer. I'll say, well, what do you mean by defunding the police? Because everyone's definition is different. (laughs) Um, So when they you know, my my position is that, you know, the police department, we we hear. Our budget is primarily goes to salaries and benefits. And so we have, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, just under 300 employees. And so there's there's 184 sworn officers, but there's also civilian staff. And some of our civilian staff include social workers. Mm-hmm. So the department is at a social services division with social workers who provide victim advocacy uh, for over 25 years. Um, some of that salary goes to, um, we also have three part-time mental health professionals who partner with police officers. We do a co-response model for people who are in crisis. Um, We have a unit called our Collaborative Crisis Services Unit that I started uh, in 2019. And uh, this is the unit that has two sworn police officers paired with the three part-time mental health professionals who respond to our community's needs uh, as it relates to homelessness, uh, substance abuse, and then mental health. And so, you know, pushing more resources towards uh, you know, some type of co-response model is what we've been trying to do here. Um, and sometimes when, you know, you, uh, when people say defund the police, I think a lot of times they forget about, you know, where they say, get rid of the police completely. The The, the problem is, is that there's still victims who are victims of, um, you know, uh, child abuse, sexual, mm-hmm. domestic battery. And so the police uh, are, are a role in being advocates for people and, Um, you know, solving crime, you know, sometimes the victims are the forgotten people in the criminal justice system. And, um, you know, so defunding to me is I always ask, what do you mean? And then when they say, you know, I always try to, you know, frame it like, well, you know, this is the things that we're doing. This is how our budget plays out. Um, And these are the things that we're going to continue to push for. Um, And, you know, using resources wisely, you know, and and being smart about it. So, um, and yeah, and and people want a safe community. Elgin right now, we're at a we are last year with our, our crime, uh, stats, we were at a 49 year low with our crime rates. And, and, um, this takes a lot of work. We have a program, uh, it's called the resident officer program of Elgin, where we have officers living in neighborhoods. Um, and that program has been in place for 25 years. So community policing, uh, and some of the initiatives and programs that you see the, you know, you have to invest now in youth programs and, um, you know, getting involved in, in in kids' lives and letting them know who the police are and not being afraid. And, you know, you, you hope to see, um, you know, that that in the future makes a change. So uh, I don't think you can completely ever say get rid of a police department. I think people would completely freak Check out. out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um,
0: but you, so uh, you Who, who makes make the important. decisions ultimately? Is that a federally driven or state driven funding of police departments? Um,
2: for us, it, it's our our city council. So every year at budget time, you know, they, we are you know they're allocating so much money towards certain um, parts of the city. You know, so um, our city council, you know, is supportive of what our initiatives and our programs that we do. Um, we've had a lot of conversations over the past month and a half about you know some things that we're doing here and, and what we're going to continue to do. But I think um, overall, a lot of stuff that we've done um, in our community policing philosophy that we've had here for. 25 years. And it's not like, you know, some police departments have a unit called their community uh, relations division and mm-hmm. that group of people that do community relations uh, in the Elgin Police Department, when you get hired when day one, um, even this goes back to when I got hired. Community policing is is infused in what you do every day. So it's part of our culture.
0: That's awesome. Um, it's very helpful for, for both of you. Uh, I, I know we're, we're, I want to kind of guide us to the end of the conversation. I know there's a ton we can go back and talk about, but a couple of things uh, as we wrap up. First, uh, Latoya, I want to talk about your kids and sort of this concept of how, what are you telling your kids as it pertains to the police officers and, and being pulled over and things like that. So what's your pep talk with them?
1: Yeah. So um, I have 20-year-old boys and they're six years old and they are um, going to be sizable children like their mom and dad. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, my, my husband and I have been thinking through, like, what do we tell them? So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you when they were four and five, we would we would talk about things like, the police are our friend, and we still say that. We tell them things like, um, you know, you need to make sure, because in our household, we believe that you need to obey authority. Authority. Um, we believe that you can't obey the authority of the Lord Christ if you can't obey your parents' authority, right? Because you can see your parents. If you're not obeying them, you're not going <laughs> to obey the Spirit of God. So that's things that we teach in our household. So we teach them authority. Um, we also teach them that, and we've started teaching this very early on, especially they just started kindergarten. We teach them you have to tell the truth at all times and mom and dad will fight your battles for you. Mm. So we've Mm -hmm. started that early. We've started the early, which is obey authority, tell the truth at all times. And mom and dad will fight your battles because they're six. Now they're going to be seven and eight, probably when they're eight, nine and 10, we'll have a different conversation, which is still along those same lines, which of is we want you to live, right? We want you to be able to use your voice but we also want you to live. So sometimes if you wind up in a situation, especially with me, we live in an all white area. If you are the only black person in this area with mom and dad driving nice cars, you know, you may not necessarily fit in, but we want you to live. And here's how we want you to live. Sometimes you're gonna have to keep your mouth shut and let us fight the battle in court. And it's hard to have to think about telling our kids that, but these are conversations that black parents have with their little Black kids all the time. And we're very conservative about what I tell our kids. There's conversations going on in other households that my boys wouldn't have enough spine right now to handle, right? Because they're very sensitive. But we have to have those conversations just based on things in the current political, uh, the current climate. Because I'll tell you, one of the things that the Black community has struggled with is for such a long time, there were were those of us in the Black community that thought that if we just kept our mouths shut and that if we obeyed, like we would have our life. But we've seen some instances of that in recent times where that didn't make the situation better and people still walked away and they didn't live. So we're working through that as a Black community. I can't speak for all Black people. I can only speak for myself and what I experience. But that's what we're experiencing. That's what we tell them Um and, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I long for the day where Black families don't have to have conversations with, with their children mm-hmm. like that. When my husband is praying over our boys at nighttime, there's been an ongoing joke that talks about how Black parents pray for their Black children. Um, when I hear my six-foot-one, 300-plus-pound husband pray, and when he says, God, please just let them stay young a little bit longer so we don't have to share so much with them, I'm in tears at the end of that prayer session.
0: That's stuff, man. That's, uh, yeah. I hate hearing that. And yet it is a reality. Chief, do you train your officers to approach a car if you pull somebody over differently? If you see a black, I mean, are you doing some training now where you're like, look, there is this feeling in the population that if you're a, a black man or woman who is pulled over, that there's more tension. So is there some training that says, all right, there, there has to be thought to that? Or is that just sort of left open?
2: Yeah, no. So that's part of the fair and impartial training that, um, the officers go through. Um, we went through it, uh, about two years ago and we're going to do a refresher next year. Uh, we did some emotional intelligence training this year though, too, with the officers. Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, being aware of, you know, what you're doing and how you are responding to people that maybe are not like you. Um, and so, that's been part of the conversation for the past couple of years. And, you know, when I hear, um, you know, cause I have, I have also heard um, that same um, sentiment of, you know, having to have conversations with, with um, young kids who are black and, and with the parents having to say certain things and that, I mean, I'll, that breaks my heart. It really does. I, I feel, you know, um, you don't, you, as a police officer, um, you know, you can police and, and do, you know, be, do your job and be effective and you can still police with respect and dignity. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that's something that you have to constantly remind officers and you have to constantly, um, you know, you know, people are doing things, they get arrested. Okay. But you can still end that, that contact with respect and dignity and, um, you know, I too hope for the day where that conversation doesn't involve police, you know, where people are not telling their children, you know, have to it's because it's sad, it's sad. And it's if people don't grasp and when because this is not the first time I've heard this, I've had many conversations with um, people who tell me the exact same thing. And I don't know how anybody could hear and, and not listen to the pain that people are, you know, they're telling. And I don't know how anybody in a position of any type of uh, you know, authority who can make change, who has the ability to, would not sit back and say, my, well, my, why would, we don't want anyone to feel like that. And what are we going to do to start changing? This is not going to happen overnight. I mean, this is going to take a long time to, you know, where people don't have to have that conversation. It's going to take a long time, but we have to start somewhere. And anyone that says that, and if your heart doesn't break for people and you don't think, oh my, why is that? Why? I can't even imagine, um, you, there you you can under. You, I can. I don't have children. Uh, me and my husband. My husband's also a police officer. But um, I can tell you that even not having children, just even thinking about that, it it's just. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, I I couldn't even imagine.
0: Chief, you're a hero. I we really appreciate you. You're you're definitely mm-hmm. unique uh, in every way. I mean, I I really have appreciated that. Uh, any closing thoughts either of you want to share? Sort of put you on the spot, but if you're, if the listeners could leave with one or two, hey, last things like I wish you knew. Maybe Latoya, you can take this on first. Uh, I know there's so many things we could go back. I, you know, I think we'll have a follow up. LaToya, Latoya, I want to bring you back and talk about some touchy things. But today, just as a, as we close, any final thoughts?
1: Yeah. So I think. Um... I think there's, let me just start out by just, again, telling Chief, thank you, because this has been um, the beginning of healing for my soul as well and continues to um, promote me to use my voice for those that don't have a voice or um, to continue to talk about social justice and racial reconciliation and these tough issues in the church and outside of the church. Like um, meeting with you today has been refreshing and to hear your voice. So thank you for that. Thank you. I think the I think the one thing I would leave you with, Chief, that you could share with your staff um, and with people that you come into contact with, because I mean I've envisioned things that I'll share with you, Chief, maybe offline, which is like I can just see like a forum of these chiefs getting together and from departments all over and talking about these stuff issues and developing alliances and things that they can do. And I know some of that is probably happening, but I think when there's a question of what blacks want from police. I'm just going to give you a quick list of what I think blacks want from police. And I think it's something that um, you may find very in common with everybody else. So the first thing blacks want from police is we want everything that everyone else wants. We want to be, we want to be innocent until proven guilty. We want Mm -hmm. our due process. We want fairness. Um, We want our kids when they're teenagers and young adults to be able to make the same stupid mistakes that their white counterparts would do and live. We want justice. We want protection. We want our punishment to fit the crime and not to be overly excessive because we know that once you go into the system, even though the system is meant for reform, when you're trying children as adults, when you go into the system, we know that sometimes reform doesn't happen and there's bad things that happen and it's actually counterintuitive and counterproductive. And most importantly, we want our Black men and our Black women to live and to have an opportunity. So those are the things that we want. I don't think those are hard to digest, but it may be hard to digest an environment and a climate that we're in. But I think that there's every Black person in America would say that. Um, so I just appreciate uh, you chief for listening, for participating. I hope this is the beginning of something even greater. I believe that Lena, I appreciate you for having this, having us here today. I think this conversation has been so helpful on so many levels.
0: Mm-hmm. Chief, any last words from you?
2: Yeah. So I too want to say uh, thank you, Latoya, for talking. And uh, you know, I always, um, I appreciate that, you know, what the things that you just listed, um, I agree. I'm with you hundred percent. I don't think that, I don't think that's hard to digest, to understand, to, to work towards. I mean, it's, you know, why wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't we should, we should be able to do and give, um, you know, give part of that list, all of that list. And we have to try, we have to work at it. So, you know, I think that um, we are not perfect. I, I guess my parting words would be, you know, first, you know, um, you know, thank you. Thank you, Lena. And thank you, Latoya, for having me on this podcast. And uh, I appreciate both of you and your comments and, and just, you know, allowing me the ability to at least give a perspective uh, that, you know, maybe some people have not heard. And, um, you know, just when when police officers, you know, they are human, they are people. Um, and most police officers, a vast majority, they come to work and their, their, their goal is to be safe, to uh, provide, um, you know, the services that their community expects from them to be professional, to be respectful. And, you know, they too have families. And, um, you know, even as people, we fall short. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we, we need to embrace and understand that uh, to get better, we have to learn, we have to listen, uh, and we have to help people heal. And, um, you know, hopefully in this profession, you know, 25 years from now, uh, you know, maybe we see the impact of what, of the work that we do today. Mm-hmm. So we're always going to continue to try here at the Elgin police department. Um, I'll just also throw a shout out there. If you want to become an Elgin police officer,
0: check right. us on Facebook, check us out online <laughs> here at the great department. So thank you. I like you. it. I like it. I like it. And <laughs> listen, I mean, seriously, we need, uh, I was just thinking about our city, Chicago. I live in, in the Northwest suburbs, but man, we need a lot of prayer for our city. So any I feel like I want to nominate you, Chief, to, to get on a committee and help fix the yes. our city. There's so much going on right now in our city that's heavy and so many burdens there. Anyway, it has been a joy to hear both of your perspectives, honestly. Those of you who are listening right now, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, Lena at livingwithpower.org or go on my contact page on the website, livingwithpower.org. I know that this conversation will elicit a lot of feedback and questions. Hey, we love to hear from you. If you want resources on how to... Get to know Jesus, the hope of the world. Again, go to livingwithpower.org. Thank you both for being on the show. So grateful to both of you. This has been fun.